is Marissa. This is Denise. And we are, are you there, God? It's us, the book bitches. And we are here on a, it feels like it's like 5 a.m. I know it's only, it's like 8.30. I know, and we went to bed like it, not like before midnight. So I just feel like it's actually actually, 6 a.m. Yeah, we're not morning people. Um, And really, we should have recorded this last night, but the thing is... I didn't want to. So we didn't. Um, and we are going to release this <laughs> sometime today. So <laughs> wish us luck. Um, with that being said, we are so happy to be here. Thank you for all of the listeners who have stuck with us through three other podcasts. Some of you guys have been true blue fancy fans. And that's what I'm going to call them. <laughs> Denise was mouthing what the fuck at me. <laughs> we just didn't agree to call I told fans. you it feels like it's 530. <laughs> I'm having a really rough time. Anyways, so thank you so much for all of you who have decided to give us a listen not once, not twice, but three times in a row. We are here that you're here for a fourth, frankly. I'm so tired that I was like, this isn't like our 11th episode. <laughs> like, time traveled. Okay, Denise. Anyways, um, so Denise, tell me what books you've read this week. Dude, okay, listen. I reread a Stephen King book. Okay. Uh, different seasons. Dope. I've read it a thousand times. I have to make a confession, though. Mm-hmm. Because it has four novellas in there, and one of his most famous ones, The Body... Stand by me, you guys. So stand you by the me, movie, the movie. Stand by me. I don't like that novella. Really? I think it's really boring. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and I've held this secret in for so long <laughs> because you love that novella and I the movie. Love the movie. The novella. I don't even like the movie. Bo- <laughs> I think it's fucking boring. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. River Phoenix. Like rest yeah, in I know. Peace. No, really. I'm sorry. No. Okay. I read Shut so I read mouth. every other novella and then I I returned the book. <laughs> <laughs> this just <laughs> Denise is a traitor. I'm sorry. Stand by Me is such a dope movie. It has a great soundtrack. It's also a really good novella. For those of you who like my recommendations and don't care about Denise, I would highly suggest that you read Stephen King's different seasons it's four novellas in one anthology but specifically focusing on the novella the body because <laughs> they're gonna totally Look, disregard dude, that denise doesn't no, like first it first of all if we're gonna talk about any novella in there it's apt pupil oh that one's fucked up yeah and that's that one's actually great. scary what did you read this week so i had a conf- i have a confession i actually have not read at all this week what is this? Um, what I've are been we, tr- in confession? There's a I've Catholic been trying, treat somewhere? Speaking of, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of TV. That's why I haven't watched any. Because my brain... Sometimes I get into these slumps where I just want to watch TV. I don't want to read. That's fair. But not, not often. Um, but often enough that it happens. It's a pattern. It happens like every six months. I started to watch Midnight Mass on Netflix. I wish I was there. Yes, but I was going to tell you. Okay. I think it's boring. It's hard because I was like, this seems like up my alley, like weird. What episode are we scary, on? Scary. Like episode three. And Maybe it's it will get better episode shit. three. No, I'm not going to watch it anymore. Oh, okay. I might finish it. Um, but I did watch Squid Games. I know this isn't a podcast about what we watched, but I'm going to make it one. I mean, you didn't read anything. Yeah, I did not. I did. <laughs> so, okay, let me be fair. I started a book, Rum Punch, by Elmore Leonard. And Rum Punch is, if you watch any Quentin Tarantino movies, Rum Punch is what Jackie Brown was based on. So good. Jackie Brown is one of our favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. And the book is, I've, I've read the book before. I don't remember like the specifics, frankly, enough to be like, I liked it. I didn't like it. I don't remember. Um, I read it in a coma. It's, I thought it was close. I think I told you that, that I thought it was pretty close. I've read it. Oh, you read it? I don't know. I've only read the beginning. And no, it's not verbatim. (laughs) No, some parts are, though. Okay. Um, But it is based on Jackie Brown. Or Jackie Brown's based on Rum Punch. So I did start it. 
after I watched Squid Games, and I know that's what everyone is talking about, and by everybody, the people that I see talking about it on Instagram, who are strangers to me. But we are watching Squid Games, and... It's not a we. I have I've watched 20 minutes. She watched 20 minutes. I watched all of it. It was very good. So that's why I started watching Midnight Mass. That was fine. They made me feel like we are making quality product with Squid Games. And I was like, dope. Squid Games also felt like a real life anime to me. So I was like into it. Something about like the costumes. Something about the cinematography. Like how like... Is that what you hope Cowboy Bebop's going to be? Yes, like the live action Cowboy Bebop. Where that looks how... like they, they base it on a lot of like ex- exploitation films and like animation combined. I'm, really, I'm actually kidding. I want the, I need the live action to be good. Me what too. What did I get this Cowboy Bebop tattoo for? What are we going to be embarrassed by? <laughs> I'm not going to be embarrassed now? by this live action show in my lifetime. I already, all right, I already don't like, you know what I don't like? His hair. No. Oh. I actually don't mind his hair. I, I, I don't like Faye's costume. We've talked about this. I know it's supposed to be progressive that she's not sexy. I don't think Bring that's actually progression. <laughs> we I don't it. feel feminist about it. I feel like it's... Because Faye's character was really developed and really cool. Mm-hmm. And her costuming was part of her character. No, I know. Anyways. Alright, so I haven't read anything this week. Sorry to disappoint everyone. I'm sure everybody's banking on what I read this week. I absolutely read nothing because I am a trash lady. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, today we are reviewing Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. And it is an American magical realism book. Mm-hmm. Which is... So magical realism is a genre that comes from Latin America. People have borrowed the genre to use in other cultures, but typically when you come across magical realism, you will see it in Latin American settings. But we have Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. It is a short book, as in like, like 250, 250 pages? pages, but it's also, which I know sounds like a lot, and I, I get it. People are like, come on, come, fuck <laughs> that's not short. And I feel like when I've said things like this, people are like, They give me, like, an evil, mean look, and they're like, but you read really fast, and that's true. Not an evil, mean look. It is an evil, mean, (laughs) horrifying, in fact. And I sound like you're bragging. Oh, it's short. It's only two. I know. It it sounds like I'm humble bragging, and I'm not. The font's big. The font is big. (laughs) It's really weirdly big. The font is big, but also, um, with this, this book being the length that it is, I did read it in, like, two hours. Now... I do read fast. So I would say for the average person, maybe four hours, but that's still a really fast read. And it just feels fast. There's not a huge, long... It's not a lot of plot. There's not a lot of plot. It's really centered around the synopsis, which I will... Do you want to talk about the actual plot now? I'll tell you. (laughs) Instead of talking around it. (laughs) I will tell you about the plot now. So I write these synopses down, just so I remember how to articulate them. And I freaking missed a word in this first sentence, and I'm looking at it like, what did I write? <laughs> and I also thought I wrote William. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you wake up you're at L at 4 a.m. to start writing synopses. <laughs> <laughs> so we have nothing to see here. Lily- Lillian leads a less than ideal life. She works at two grocery stores, which I thought it was funny that the two grocery stores were like competitor grocery stores. <laughs> Um, she lives in her mom's attic and her social life is non-existent as in no friends except for Madison. One day she gets a letter from her friend Madison, a pen pal she's kept since she was kicked out of boarding school, which we will get into that. Asking her for a favor. Lillian is lured by the chance of escape and responds. Madison's twin stepkids are moving in with the family after the mother's untimely death, and Madison would like Lillian to nanny them, which sounds like a really, really basic request. But the catch is the children under emotional duress catch on fire. Lillian's main job is to keep them a secret until the father figures out what to do with them. And along with that synopsis, I do want to add that her... And Madison have a funky relationship yeah, that the kind porn- of adds to the tension of this novel. So we have their relationship that adds to the tension. We have the father who is a character, not character for most of this book. I did recently reread this 
just to prepare for the podcast and was again surprised by the fact that I thought this this book is really freaking tragic all the way through. The entire book's tragic. It does not give you a break. No. There are no breaks. It says no breaks. Don't pump those breaks. Here's a sad fest. But the the <laughs> author <laughs> the author presents it in such a funny way that you I want to say you're almost distracted by the fact that Lillian herself as a character is funny. She's hilarious. She's hilarious. She's like those depressed people that make a lot of jokes about depression, but are so funny. She's so funny. Um, she reminds me of, in fact, <laughs> this lady I met at, um, working yesterday. Okay. So I work at, I don't, am I allowed to say the name of this company? I can say the name. What are they going to sue me for defamation? Why would, you're not saying anything about that? Yeah, I'm not saying, so I was working at, I don't know, you know when people are, like, this is, okay, because when people make TikToks, (laughs) this is the knowledge I have based on this, when people make TikToks, and they're like, this is the company that I work for, I'm like, why aren't you saying the name? (laughs) They have those, like, customer service TikToks? So what do you feel like you should do here? I'm gonna say it, it's fine. What are they gonna do, find me? So I was working at Torrid yesterday and this lady came in and she was dope. She was a dope lady. I was here for her. I loved her energy. She came in. She was dancing. We were dancing. We were having a moment. And she was like, I'm going to a hood funeral. And I was like, okay, tell me more. What do we want to wear? And she's like, we can wear anything. And I was like, dope. So what do you want to start with? She's like, let's do bottoms. She's like, I'm not going to wear a dress. And I was like, fair. So I was like, okay, let's not, we're not even going to look at the dresses. Walk past the dresses. She was like, I'm just going to wear some jeans and a top. And I was like, okay, let's do that. Not very much direction. I was randomly picking stuff up, okay? No, that's fair. There's so many tops. <laughs> I was like, I was just trying to get a feel of what we were looking at. Yeah. And she looked at my outfit and said, I love that you're confident enough to wear that. But I would never wear that. And I was like, dope. Okay. That's so we're going we're gonna to scale it down. No, I know. Like After that, I was like scaling it down, scaling it down. So we ended up finding her stuff, but she was funny. She made me laugh because she goes in the fitting room. She comes out. She loves what we had picked out together, whatever. I was hyping her up. I was like, yes, giving me life. So we were, we were hyping each other up. It was, it was a party in the fitting room. You don't room. need any more confidence no, or I don't. anyone hyping you Nobody up. needs to hype me up. So we were having a great time. And then <laughs> she goes... Yeah, you know, I haven't gotten to do this for myself yet because I just adopted my four, like, nieces and nephews um, from my brother and sister because they can't get it together. And I was like, (gasps) so it took, like, a really, like, left. But then she goes, you know, me being fat and now I have five kids and I'm looking for a man. I can't do all of this at one time. (laughs) And I was, like, dying. I was like, please, that is just too much. I cannot right now. But she made it so funny that I was like, I know you're telling me something tragic. Right. I understand that. But, like, I was, like, cry laughing because she was, like, <laughs> her delivery <laughs> was there. So when when I think of, like, this main character in this book, that's what I think of. Okay. I think of really funny people who are going through a rough patch. But I have an important question. Okay. What kind of shirt did she get? So it was, like, a tunic. It was a tank top. It was a camo, which I don't typically like camo, but it looked really good on her. Okay. But I did... So here's the thing. I was like, just try this on. It's a size that you don't normally get. I know it's like a size smaller, but you have a little waist. So like, let's see how it looks. And she put it on and it looked magical. I will always... Here's my thing. You're good at dressing people. You've dressed me before. It's part... part of, here's my thing. People don't know what size they are. And a lot of times they think they're going to wear a size bigger when they should really size down. Especially when you're in something like Torrid, people are like, oh, I'm already fat. You don't want to be, you don't want to, yeah, people. you don't, you, they're cutting for plus size women, and then you don't want to be frumpy too. You want to make sure your clothes fit. Yeah. I find it important. I just think that I just, you should well, find that clothes helps. that fit. It helps, how, it helps how you feel about how you look. Yeah. So for all of you women out there who are like, what do I wear? You or guys can DM me. Yeah, really anybody. It's not just women. Literally anybody on the gender spectrum. I will help you get dressed if you want me to. I will be like, yes! And we can have a party in the fitting room. 
it can be a whole thing. I do have to go fold some shirts, but <laughs> anyways. So when I read this novel, that's what I think of. Like those really funny people that going through awful, sadnesses. awful things, sadnesses, who still are, <laughs> you still have the ability to be funny right. or to kind of have that like inner comedian. I don't know. I really appreciate that. So with that being said, this novel, Denise, what do you want to start us off with? Okay, I want to talk about magical realism. We touched upon it a little bit in our last podcast, but we did not get into detail. Mm -hmm. I mean, according to our dad, why are we talking about it again? Oh my god, I was like, okay, well... This well, is a shout out to my dad who every week calls us and says, well, I don't know, I just have... According to my dad, I did not make the argument that that book was a western. Yeah, he has a criticism for every week. Doesn't make us stronger, No. <laughs> Because I felt pretty strong about that argument. <laughs> so that criticism was like, okay. listen, Dad, <laughs> you make your own podcast. <laughs> okay. Marissa, please. We're going to talk about magical realism. I'm going to give you a better definition than what I articulated in the last podcast. First of all, the story must be set in a realistic environment with magical elements. Mm -hmm. Now, you may say, well, isn't that just Harry Potter? <laughs> no. They okay. had a whole world. Oh, okay. So, unlike fantasy, authors withhold the information about the magic in their created world. And mm -hmm. magic is just kind of an ordinary occurrence in the right. world. It like, doesn't need to be explained. You may have, like, a little bit of a question about it, but not really... Right. Mm -hmm. So that's magical realism. It it boomed in the 40s and 50s with Latin American authors. You can trace it back to the 30s with like Franz Kafka. Um, probably the metamorphosis would be a good example. But it really boomed in the 40s and 50s in Latin America. It's a combo of French surrealism and in, with, combined with indigenous mythologies. Some Latin American examples are A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. This is my personal favorite, Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. I did not care for Like Water for Chocolate. I don't know. Here's okay. I didn't care for it the first time I, I read, read it, it and then I read it again. No, because so you I read it when I was a teenager. The general plot of Like Water for Chocolate is that she is... I don't remember the main character's name. But she is... Not married. Her sister's going to be married, but to the man that she's in love with. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the sister's older, right? So the so older sister has to, has to be married, married first. first. Yeah. The older sister has to be married first, but it's like such a strong love between the two of them um, that it's just really fucking sad. And I didn't like it. I was like, but I was also a teenager. So I was like, this is an uncomfortable story. And it is. So maybe read it. Now, I'm gonna read it as an because adult. I read it recently and I think it I'll holds like it. Up. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll like it more. Some elements that appear in these stories um, can be time that is fluid, dead characters reappearing to the living, telepathy, shit like that. Right. In this book, um, nothing to see here. Fire children. Fire children. Fire children. Okay. Some American works that you may know. I did not identify this one as magical realism, and I've read it like five times, is Beloved by Toni Morrison. That's rough. That one is rough, and I told Travis that yesterday, and I was like, I didn't know that was magical realism, and he looked at me like I was the dumbest motherfucker on the planet. I wouldn't have, because <laughs> when my, when, okay, in your defense, when I think about magical realism, I, I think only Latin think about American Latin works, American right? works. I have not extended it to anything else. So even in reading Nothing to See Here, I was like, oh, this is American magical realism? I was like, okay, I do hope I could get behind that. Like, I didn't know how to. To be fair, I wasn't sure how to categorize this book. And part of it's because it's so different from Latin American magical realism. It's funny, first it, of all. Yeah, and... <laughs> Magical realism, I feel like, is often They're used to funny. explore very tough topics. I Love think it's is a great example. I think it's of that. also. I honestly have only seen it used in a way to exaggerate tragedy. I feel like. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I agree. Some controversy with American magical realism is that it has been accused, like 
the authors have been accused of cultural appropriation of the genre. Um, the reasoning is because magical realism was popular popularized in countries that had been colonized, likely by Western countries, including America. With that said, I have issues with that argument, mainly because Latin Americans are the ones mostly credited with magical realism. Magical realism is nearly always credited to Latin Americans. I've I'm only I'm only saying nearly always because I haven't seen people credit Americans or really any other like country of origin for this. Maybe French surrealism. Yeah, I've never um, come across the idea. Okay, so I do see both sides of this argument. 100%. As we do have the idea of like colonialism taking a lot of culture, but I also see it as something in terms of cultural appropriation. There is often the lack of credit that goes to who it originates from. And, and magical yeah, magical realism is almost always credited to Latin American authors. Right. I've never I in fact me as an adult had never come across magical realism and thought anything but Latin America until I came across this book. Right. And this is one of very few American magical realism books out there. No, I agree. But I would say, yeah, it becomes an issue when you forget the origin of magical realism. I also think, um, so particularly in Beloved, because it's using like indigenous mythologies or cultural mythologies... Toni Morrison didn't culturally appropriate any Latin American mythologies to tell her story. Mm -hmm. She used black culture and black history mm -hmm. to tell her story. So that, you know, it's magical realism, but it's magical realism from a different culture. That right. doesn't seem like cultural appropriation at that point. Um, yeah, and I would definitely agree with that. I would also say, if you're looking at nothing to see here... There is nothing... It's highly American culture. Yeah, because that's, we I think have, that's almost like the magic. Yeah, we have the on. idea of the fire children. We haven't gotten into a lot about the family dynamic yet, and we will. But their father is a U.S. senator. Some kind of American Some kind politician. Of, yes. I have to look at <laughs> I have it. To, I can't remember because he changed his title somewhere in there. Or he was yeah. like the Secretary of State or he became it. Something like something that. Big. He's something in the U.S. government, a little bit higher up, someone with a little more power. Um, but again, a lot of this derives very much from American culture. Even them being in Tennessee, that does come up in the book more than once. Yes, he uses the genre, but he doesn't use the same techniques or that same tragic magical you know what i mean that the same, same thing way to use magical realism to explore tragedy yes he doesn't do quite that in the way that latin americans seem to do no and that's actually what i was going to say is because it's french surrealism uh, mixed with whatever indigenous or cultural mythology you're using I would say this, weirdly enough, is just very American. Mm -hmm. And that is the mythology he's using, especially with the inclusion of the politician husband. And I did look on the book jacket, and it just says politician husband. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I don't know what the what fuck is he is. he? And it was like one of those not memorable things. That, I, that's why I think, I, he had to have been like a senator. It was Tennessee, though, right? Because they talked yeah. about Dolly Parton. You only know one thing about Tennessee and it's Dolly Parton. <laughs> Who needs to know anything else about Tennessee? Working nine to five, what mm. I made to make a living. Tennessee. I sound like Dolly Parton, like an angel. Exactly. exactly you know, like what Dolly is your Parton. favorite Dolly Parton song? We're not from Tennessee, but this is something to just Hold on, let me look up, tell me, and then I'm going to look up the title of mine. What? I don't remember the title. Oh, you want me to tell? Yeah. <laughs> you meant, I thought you wanted me to tell you what your song was. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, what? Oh my god, I can't remember the title. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so yeah, I might know this one. Good, hey. good. <laughs> I was gonna sing it. <laughs> Wait, no, I can't sing it. Um, here it comes again. Wait, here, here, here he come, come here, here you, you go, go again. Here you come again. I'm here literally you... trying to tell you. <laughs> That's not what it's at me. Of course 
like looking at it. Here you come again. Here you come again. Oh yeah. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, okay, dun. so I like. So okay, so at one point I watched a whole Dolly documentary. Yeah. So at one point fair. she did a bluegrass album, and mm-hmm. so my favorite song is one of her hits off that one called "The Grass Is Blue." Fake fan. Just kidding. You're probably more of a fan than I am. No, no it's deal. just a good song. So Dolly Parton is mentioned in this book. She's a true Tennessee hero. More than the husband, I would say. I'm actually hoping that this podcast blows up so much that we are able to go to Dolly Land. We could, we don't have, we could do that if we wanted to. (laughs) You mean like for free? Yeah. (laughs) Like if we mentioned Dolly Parton enough or Jamie Lee Curtis, like something will happen for us. Jamie Lee. Dude, did you hear me? We went to the movies the other day and that Halloween trailer came yeah. on. And I've seen it so many times that when she says, Let it burn! I said it at the same time. What the fuck? I don't know. Like, I added it down. I've seen the movie. I don't know, but I've seen that trailer like 10 times. You're watching it by yourself in here. <laughs> Let it burn! <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Okay, so back to this book that we want to talk about. Um, yeah, so we have this magical... I want to talk about... Let's talk about the family. Because I find that to be the most interesting part of that book. We have Lillian and Madison, who are not related. They are old friends from boarding school before Lillian got kicked out. And I think we should talk about that. Oh, man, that's a bummer. So Lillian... So in this book, you're, especially for the beginning, you are introduced to Lillian, you're introduced to the fire children in between the scenes of her taking care of these kids and learning how to nanny them. Because remember, they catch on fire under any kind of emotional duress and Mm -hmm. they have had a bad couple months. So why have they? Why have they yeah, had a and bad we will we will co- no we'll cover that. Okay. So we have Lillian who also interspersed that with memories of her and Madison and how they met, and also how who Lillian was essentially before she came to be their nanny, and so we get into Lillian's background. She was straight A student. She came from a household. Her mom was low key neglectful and low key kind of a bitch, but. Lillian worked really, really hard and eventually was able to get into boarding school. She did get in on a scholarship, so already one foot, just one foot in the grave because people know it's more in a more elite boarding school. People are really rich. She's a scholarship kid. It's just all bad all around. She gets into this boarding school. Um, Madison is actually her roommate. Mm -hmm. With Madison being her roommate... Madison is rich. Madison's interesting. She's kind of like, I'm not like other girls, but she is like other girls. But she's also kind of weird. They're both kind of weird in their own ways. And so they bond. Madison's aggressive. Yeah, she's aggressive. So they bond. And they become this... I don't even want to say best friends because they're strange. But it goes into how they played basketball together. They spent a lot of their time together. Madison did have other friends. And she had almost like this second life outside of Lillian. But when she was with Lillian, she was a different person. Mm -hmm. And that is supposed to give you the sense that when she was with Lillian, she's the truer person that she is. Essentially, what we come down to is Madison is caught with drugs. Was it drugs? Like in their room? It was like weed or something. something like that. She's caught with drugs in their room. It's in, just in their room. So it's not caught on Madison or Lillian, but just in their room. The school goes to question it. We have this scene. This is just an awful scene to me. We have this scene between Madison's parents, very wealthy. Lillian's mom, not wealthy. Lillian and Madison. Now, remember, Lillian has worked her ass off to get into sporting school. She's worked really hard in the boarding school. Madison has not and also has partied a lot while they've been there. And essentially, in this dinner scene, we have the dad who proposes to Lillian's mom to basically just pay them off so that Lillian will say the drugs were hers and take the expulsion that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Lillian's mom has been someone who from the beginning said, you do not belong at this boarding school. 
Um, don't forget, basically, like, your white trash. Yeah. And takes the money and is like, okay. Lillian says that the drugs were hers. She gets expelled. And she goes back to her sad life with her mom. And then that's where we find Lillian at 26. Ten years later. Ten years later, living in the attic of her mom's house, working at these grocery stores with very few prospects because that kind of made... That took her... Her life took a left turn from there where she basically just didn't give a shit anymore. Right. So now we have Madison who's back. And Madison who will almost like refuse to acknowledge that happened. Actually, not kind of. She does refuse to acknowledge that happened. Sort of like a different reality of the situation for her. This is something that's ruined Lillian's life. But for Madison, it was just like a blip in the radar. Yeah. And so Madison asks her for this favor. She accepts it. But their relationship is weird. Their dynamic is weird. Well, and Lillian, she knew she would accept it. Yeah. Lillian comes out and you realize, oh, their relationship's a little less friendshipy Because Lillian in the novel says, I love you. And it's very clear that she means it in one kind of way. Madison comes back with, okay, what do you want me to do about and that? And I know. Like, I know, but I can't do anything with that. Kind of, I feel like implying like there could have been something there. But Madison won't ever let anything happen. Not mm-hmm. only because she fucking betrayed Lillian, but because that's not where her life is going. Lillian can't give her the things that she wants like her politician husband can. Mm-hmm. You also get a little insight into Madison's character prior to this scene where Lillian's like, I love you. And Madison's like, okay, I know. And Lillian doesn't want anything from her. She She says in the book, I just wanted her to acknowledge it and say it back. Or at least you know, admit that there was something between us and she won't. And eventually later on, she does Mm -hmm. um, towards the end of the book. But for this, she doesn't. But Lillian says she didn't want anything from her because she realizes that Madison, Madison, first of all, does not love her husband. That's very clear. 100%. Not in a, she's like evil or mean to him kind of way, but she, she's there for the, the power. Right. Um, she's really, she wants to be a politician's wife and she even admits that he's not very good at his job. (laughs) He doesn't know very much about the law. She's the one who knows everything. Right. She's the one that tells him what decisions to make and how to appear on camera and things like that. So you realize Madison's the one pulling the strings behind her husband. He's just kind of like the little, the little front runner there. So we see that dynamic between Lily and Madison. We understand who Madison is as a person. She's intense. She's aggressive. She's a beautiful blonde woman, though, so no one, like, suspects it of her. And then we get into the husband. And we fucking hate the husband. And yet he's, like, almost not a character. He's not a character. So one thing to note about the husband is there's three scenes with him in this book, maybe four scenes. There's that many scenes with him? <laughs> Fuck. There's, there, I want to say, say off the top of my head, we have maybe, like, solidly three scenes with him in it. I mean, it. how many times does he speak? Yeah. There, I want to say three times. <laughs> like, once every but time we see it's him. It's so interesting because he is such a large character in this book. Because every single decision every is decision, routed through him. Yes. But he's non-existent in the book. And yet he changes every single fucking course of everyone's life because he's a politician of some sort. <laughs> Nondescript. We, we could find out what he is. We will not. But just know Isn't he's that a just politician. <laughs> Isn't that just U.S. There's politics? There's so many. Other than the president this who you like, know. This was like when I worked at Walmart or even like Torrid. Um, Walmart had 16 levels of managers. <laughs> The U.S. CMS. government is 16 levels of managers and then the president. <laughs> <laughs> Who can I complain to? <laughs> Generic U.S. politician. Um, and we don't even meet him until, like, towards the middle of the book. Right? I thought there was a... For the dinner. <sighs> yeah, I think That's so. That's the first time yeah. we really see him. Yeah. Yeah, he's someone that, he's like a character, not character. He's kind of looming over everybody's lives, but he's really, really not that involved. Um, he has these fire children, something that was discovered early on with his first wife. An important thing to know, Madison is his second marriage. His first wife and him were married. Madison met him when he was married. She tries to, she tries to spin it a little differently. 
Yeah. But she met him when they were married. He falls in love with Madison. He leaves his first wife. And he leaves her with these fucking kids that catch on fire. Now, the kids, you end up really liking the kids. You they're, do. They're, they're weird, just, too. They're, they're weird. weird like Lillian. Have you ever met kids? They're all weird. <laughs> yeah. But... They're they're weird little kids, and that's fine. You You're end also up, pleasant little kids. Yeah, you end up having such a... I feel like I had such a... Like, just... I was like... <gasps> I think because Lillian loves them, you we love them, love, too. Yeah. He leaves the first wife with these kids, and, like, penniless, basically. <sighs> and... Him. That sounds about white. <laughs> I'm sorry, let me change that. That sounds about you as politician. Oh my god, no, really. <laughs> so it leaves her, whatever. Then you come to find out, Lillian's just told the mom died. The kids tell her later oh on god. the actual circumstances regarding her death. Their mom essentially becomes overwhelmed with her fire children. Uh, you find out she had some weird methods of dealing with them anyways, like keeping the house really, really cold and hopes they wouldn't catch on fire. Again, this is magical realism. There's no rhyme or reason, no reason that they catch on fire. And it's how it sounds. They literally they catch like, on fire. They, they just don't get burned. get very, very hot. And the fire kind of increases over time. Mm-hmm. So Lillian will watch them either. There have been times where they've started to burn and then maybe like calmed down and so stopped burning or started to burn. The fire got larger. The flame got hotter. And then eventually they had to be put out. Mm -hmm. So you have you kind of see these episodes with these fire children. You realize like biological mom had weird ways of dealing with them. Ice baths, really cold rooms. No, no homeschooling because it was upsetting. So it's just, it's all over the place. And then you eventually hear about what happens and you're like, oh, this lady had depression. So essentially what happens is mom takes some pills. She encourages them to take the pills. They pretend to, the kids do, don't take them though. And then they all go lay down together and eventually mom dies next to them. And it's just, it's... Even saying it out loud, I'm like, that's a fucking bummer, dude. Yeah. And that's pretty much when Lillian hears that story, that's when she resolves to do as much as she humanly can for these kids. I just want to make it clear. He doesn't make that part funny. It's The whole book is funny, funny, but it's like, when it comes to the sad shit, he's not like... He delivers it, and then you're like, good, good. Dope. Cool, cool. I will never financially recover (laughs) Oh, yeah, and then you move on, and then, it, you know, he regains that humor. Yeah. I just want to make it clear he's not making fun of this very sad situation. No, it's super. So you find out how the kids die. Lillian resolves to do her best with them. And then you move on the to the next don't day. Die. The kids oh, I'm sorry, what did I say? <laughs> the, oh, you find no, out the how mom. the kids die. So they're <laughs> the ghost <mom>. fire children. <laughs> the mom died. Ah, I meant to say the kid's mom died. Um, But you also get just... Wait, hold on. I actually want to make that part clear. What the politician thinks that it's his wife's fault that they're fire children. No, I know. So the whole thing with this too is she kills herself and kind of with this guilt that the generic U.S. politician put (laughs) over her head of this This is is your your fault. fault. You had shoddy genes. You and your mental health. So good job. So she kills herself. There is no remorse. No. No remorse. Not even... And we already talked about Madison is kind of cold and calculating. She does not give a shit either that the no. mom is dead. Um, she's more really stressed out about the fact that now they have these weird stepkids. Yeah. And that's it. That's what you get from Madison. You don't get anything from the husband. Well, and I, did we mention that Madison and him have a kid? We haven't gotten there yet. Because I just want to let everyone know that they have the stepkids in this, like, pool house with Lillian and they have their kid in the house like a real kid yeah they have their real child apparently yeah I know in the house so yeah we didn't even get into that the dynamic of this is Lillian is their nanny don't forget but she's also basically their parent isolated though off into this pool house area which it's a beautiful pool house it's essentially the size of a house like it's like a small house yeah it's a small house with these kids with the pool isolated there to kind of wait out what the u.s politician will decide (laughs) regarding something 
regarding anything. He's like, <laughs> like they're like, you're going to nanny them until we figure out what to do with them. And by all means, throughout most of this novel, I'm like, Does, is anyone talk? Like, nobody's making a decision. And then you have Madison and her child living in the actual freaking mansion house that they have and the u.s politician is really driving he's the one that's the driving force behind everything he's the reason why lillian got hired as a nanny they did not he didn't really care for lillian he wanted like an actual nanny but madison thought to her this is almost a way of making up to her like we'll pay you really good money and you can be in my life again and i'll it makes up for the fact that you had this crappy life after boarding school yeah this temporary job 100%. yeah this- <laughs> Good, good, good. She doesn't have her... Honestly, fuck Madison. I... No, I did not care for her at all. I... And I was like, Lillian, you need to be more mad at her. You need to stop being in love with her, like, right now so you can be upset. It's really hard because it's like watching your friend in a bad relationship. You're like, hey, man. What's up? What's going on? Like, do you... You don't need this. This isn't like water. No. You can go without it. You literally can. I really like this book because it has, so again, for having not very much plot in terms of like, I don't want to say not very much plot, but a very simplistic plot. Um, and it's on a, almost a timer because they're like, we got to figure out what to do by the end of the summer. And that's, it gives you, genuinely gives you like a two month timeline to work with. And so I, when I do kind of like books that do that, because it, you know that you're probably not going to extend past that timeline, a decision will be made somewhere between now and then. Um, but for a book that in this didn't have a whole lot for you to work with in terms of like what was happening. So we have Lillian who goes to nanny these kids. That's a majority of the plot. And then it's really just small things that happen with them that this book I feel like relies a lot on character building well and backstory actually and backstory because like I said before while you're getting Lillian nanny these kids you get a lot of Lillian's backstory in that as well and her relationship with Madison um but again that's all part of this character building so that you get to know Lillian Madison these two children that they're she's nannying um, as well as these other side characters that you have involved. <laughs> Carl. <laughs> Carl, who is... What is his job? Handyman, in general. Carl is... The guy who gets them. Yeah. Things. Carl is their handyman. He sometimes drives them. He gets them stuff. He is irritated with Lillian's presence because he doesn't understand why she's there. She's not a professional of any kind. She has no background in child rearing. And he's just like, I don't know why you're here. So he's generally irritated by her, but has a respect for her because she doesn't give up on the kids. And he, you know, in this book, they are also trying to figure out what are the best solutions for these fire kids. So they try to get them stuff that like firefighters wear, like underwear that's basically made out of that material. What um, the suits that race car drivers wear. Suits that race car drivers wear. Gel that stunt men put on their body. Yeah. There's just a series of things that they both tried together. So you get to know Carl, who's this background character. He ends up helping her out a lot towards the end of the book. I fucking love Carl. Then you have... We have Mary, who's their cook, but also seemingly knows a lot of the secrets about the house. Mary also does not care she does for Lillian. Not, does not care, but she does in general. I want to know what Lillian looked like that everyone just hated her <laughs> on first sight. Did she look like... I don't know, but Mary also did woman? not give a shit. No. <laughs> About anybody in general, though, is That's the sense true. that you get. That's she true. was like one of those people that was like bitchy polite, and I get that. So you, you have, yeah, you have Mary who also plays a part and Carl. And then we are, as we're going through this story, again, you're on this very like small timeline to begin with. And this timeline speeds up <laughs> towards the end. And then it gets shorter. And it gets shorter. Because of so, one incident. Essentially what happens is we have generic U.S. politicians. <laughs> You know what? I just read his name again. What is his name? It's Jasper. That's right. They gave him an interesting name for someone so boring. Jasper is eventually called to be Secretary of State. Someone died. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember who died. Someone died. The Secretary of State. I was going to say it wasn't the Secretary of State. (laughs) The original Secretary of State, whoever that was supposed to be, not Jasper, died. 
Um, Jasper gets the phone call. He's going to become the Secretary of State. He obviously accepts. Madison is right there next to him, whispering in his ear like, yes, this is what we're going to do. Because she wants him to be president. They're having the ceremony or press conference. They're having Something where news cameras are present. Having the ceremony they have press their conference. Kid with He's them. making acceptance. It's Madison holding the baby who's I forgot her kid's well, name. He's not a baby. He's like three, right? He's like seven. No, he's not. Tough. You know what? So sorry. We had to take a break because Denise wants to argue with me about everything. He was I just read the Three-year-olds can say things, Denise. He had like he said like a couple of full sentences. No, he did not. And he seemed disdainful. Did you read the book recently? No, you didn't. I did. <laughs> so we have the, what was his name? Did you have Timothy. his name? Timothy, who's three years old. So Madison's off to the side holding Timothy. You've seen it. You know what it looks like when somebody accepts, like generic U.S. politician accepts a new position. It's them at the podium and their wife and kids behind them, right? Um, obviously his older fire children are at home because he's that kind of dad. Well, they're a secret. They're a secret and they're at home. Good, good, good. So in the midst of this, he accepts it. Everyone's clapping. It's very exciting. And Timothy catches on fire. Madison drops him, which is an absolutely good look. Good me. And they quickly put him out, grab him and run off stage. Jumping back to before when Jasper was a complete ass and was like, no, it comes from my crappy first wife side of the family. (laughs) It actually comes from Jasper, which takes us to what happens next. And this is towards the ending of the book, um, probably like 20 pages out. Jasper and Madison come home. Jasper's like, I've made a decision because remember the timeline now has sped up. Wait, really quick before we get into this. I want to talk about that name, Jasper. <laughs> because we watched the Twilight films. Oh we rewatched God. them in December Wait, when we had December? COVID. Which one is December? Which one is Jasper? He's, He's the, the blonde, blonde one. one? Okay, okay, but this is what I want to talk We had never seen the third one. And frankly, we still haven't seen it because we got halfway through and it was, it was so boring. boring as fuck. But we get backstories of the other vampires in the third one, and I we guess that's the draw. And fucking Jasper, why was why did Stephanie Meyer decide to make him a U.S. <laughs> Confederate soldier? Literally any point. What the of, fuck was that? There, any point of history, she could have chosen from any person from. No, history. no, no! You're gonna be part of the, the Confederacy. We will rise again. And like, no one bullshit. talked about that enough. That was such a weird No one acknowledged decision. it enough. I feel like no one said, what? <laughs> so now when I hear that name, all I can think about is like Stephanie Meyer making this vampire who's racist, probably, <laughs> right? Because he was from the South. Um, you know, like immortal. And that's a weird choice on her part. Like, what if Bella had been a person of color? <laughs> She wouldn't have been, that was because Stephanie Meyer was self-inserting herself. Oh my god, that's so mean. She's not a need to play. <laughs> so anyways, so, okay, so Jasper comes home with Madison. He's made a decision. He is going to send his children to, it's like a, it's, it sounds like a boring school slash hospital slash somewhere where you tuck away weird children. He's going to send them there, and then Timothy is obviously going to go to a hospital, and they are going to examine him, and he will have to be separated for the family. Madison loses her absolute shit. Because remember, the fire kids are not her kids, technically, just Timothy is. And she does not care about the fire kids. She doesn't care about their fate and what they're going to do, but she does care about Timothy. And so she absolutely loses it. She's like, you're not taking him He's staying here with me. I like there's there's out of the question, completely out of the question. That energy was not present. That energy not present for the fire children. Lillian loses her shit because of the fire children. Remember, she's been she's been nannying them. She cares about them, and she's like, "You can't do this." And he's like, "Well, yeah, I mean, I can. They're my kids. They're not I'm even your kid. You're not even yeah. Politician. You're not even related to them." He's kind of pulling that card. She. Does she push him? Something dramatic. Something like she grabs him. He Oh, I think she grabs him. Okay. She grabs him. He turns around. He pushes her. She falls into a glass table. 
basically shit starts to go down. The fire children are present. They start setting the house on fire. And the last (laughs) scene of that house is everybody packing it up. Carl getting a car, bringing it around for Lillian, telling them to run and taking the kids with her. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Carl. And that's not quite the end of the book, but we don't need to tell you the full end. But that is towards the end. I real fucked up. Yeah, this book is definitely a roller coaster of emotions the entire time. I also just really, I remember when I read it and I was like, oh, this is going to be one of my new favorite books. That's how hard it hit me the first time I read it because I just thought it was so damn good. I think I finished I finished it again the first time I read it, maybe two hours. And I loved every moment of it. No, me too. I loved it. I, you know, I cried. I sprinkled some tears in there. Just and a few. And I left my life and it was forever changed. Mm-hmm. So, Denise, if you were to recommend... Okay, so let's say somebody reads Nothing to See Here. They're looking for more. They want... Something different, something similar, but maybe not too similar. What would you recommend? I know we said that I was going to say Beloved, but <laughs> I changed my mind. Okay, okay, that's fine. Because I want something that captures the tone and is, you know, kind of related to magical realism. The Princess Bride by William Goldman. Oh, that one's a good one. Because that one's it's so funny. Because if you read it, the whole dry, like, ironic tone mm-hmm. is in the book in spades. Nice. Okay, that one's fun. Yeah. What do you think? What are you recommending? Um, I would recommend... So, Kel- Kevin Wilson has also written... He's... I don't know how many novels he's written, but there's another Quite a one. Few. Yeah. There's another one that I read called The Family Fang that we both read. Oh, my god. The general premise of The Family Fang is you have two parents who... They're performance these, like, artists. They're performance artists, so they pull these elaborate, like, pranks or stunts constantly alongside with their kids and they're famous and they're famous you realize like the kids did not want to be involved with them at all i mean really because they weren't like they weren't they were were, like yeah they were embarrassing or they were also like at the expense of other people right so it goes into the family dynamic in regards to that so i really again quite liked i really liked that one a lot that one that one was a bummer too but it also in the same way very funny I think he does a good job of balancing out the, man, that's a fucking bummer with, oh, but there's some hope. <laughs> Thanks, man. Just a little hope for you. Just, just sprinkle <laughs> it in there like cheese. So, yeah. I mean, I would, I I don't have enough good things to say about nothing to see here. This was also the first book I got using book of the month, my book of the month subscription. So I felt like that gave me only positive vibes from there. I don't remember the first book I got. Did I even like the first book I got? I I think you did. I mean, it kept the subscription. So I must have. You must have. No, I really like, this was the first book I got with my subscription, which I would just like to mention. Denise didn't tell me about the subscription. (laughs) She ordered a book first (laughs) And then she got it, and she's like, oh, yeah, dope. So, Marissa, there's a subscription you might like. I wanted to try it out, but I didn't want to tell you. And now I'm just barely mentioning it once you've asked. Like, that's what... She does that to me all the time. She's like, hey... Well, I don't want to recommend something shitty. I, I Sometimes I just want to try something, and you don't even tell me about no, no, it. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it out first. Hey, Marissa, I saw this movie that I knew you really wanted to see. I really liked it. I think you might like it, too. Oh, no way. Do you think so? <laughs> I'm vetting it, bitch. If, like, if, I would also try your food to make sure it wasn't poisoned. That's gross. And you're ungrateful. I'm not a baby. You freaking bitch. <laughs> you know, that's fine. So, yeah. So, with that being said, also, if you don't know what Book of the Month is, we are not sponsored by them. But I just really like them. But I pay far too much in add-ons. Oh, I know. So it's actually a really, really good thing if you are not... Okay, so I would recommend this for someone who's not a big reader. Yes. And I would say that because I know you're like, book of the month. It's a book every month. That's... You can do a book in a month. That's 30 days you have to read a book. You definitely can. But what I was going to say was... 
um, with Book of the Month, it's $15 a month for a book. A hardcover book, you guys. Like, those fuckers those... are, like, $28 a piece now. Yeah. If you go into Barnes & Noble and you want a, want a hardcover book, you are going to pay, with tax, $30, okay? So, Book of the Month is not only sending you a $15 book, they are also sending it to you with free shipping. Yeah. Do you know what a freaking steal that is? Well, and then the add-ons are $10, right? Yeah. So then if you, let's say you feel ambitious that month and you want to add on a book, you get the option every month to have two add-on, add-ons. And the add-ons are $10. And they're hardcover books. They're hardcover. So you could easily, and this is what I do most months because I'm the worst, I get two books and I, it's $25. That's still cheaper than a hardcover book. Now, have I made the mistake of buying a hardcover from Barnes and Nobles only to find out it was on freaking book of the month? Yes. And I hate myself. That That's okay. But like for the other black girl, I told you it was on book of the month and you said, I can't wait. I couldn't wait. <laughs> okay. So that was on you. That, one, that one's on me. Um, the cool thing too, is that it's not like off-brand crappy books it's it's some sometimes they have early releases they have debut authors debut authors they have i mean they have stuff that you will find in barnes and nobles that's like featured for that month and they're a hundred percent i feel since last year trying to diversify what they're offering so you have a lot of black authors mm-hmm. latin american authors um, a lot of gay, women authors lgbtq of, yeah. plus authors and stories. So anyways, I would just say, again, obviously we're not sponsored by them, but it's it's a subscription but that I've actually... Be. Yeah, it's a subscription that I've actually, like, very much enjoyed. And if you were someone who's like, I don't read a lot, but I maybe want to read a little bit, this would be something that I would 100% mm-hmm. just recommend for you. Anyways, with that being said, Denise, who would you recommend Nothing to See Here for? God, I didn't even think about this question. Great. She didn't think about this question, but that's fine because I did for both of us. <laughs> good, good. I would recommend this to anybody who wants to laugh a little bit. I, I mean, I know that sounds fucked We're up so considering pleased. the sad plot. Your recommendations are getting more general. <laughs> They're getting more and more general as we go. You know what this... Um, People who want to laugh, you mean everyone? <laughs> no, because I've met some laughless people. <laughs> so... I've met some people who have no sense of humor, and you just look at them, you make little jokes, and they don't give a shit. Um, I know. Well, what I mean by that is like someone who wants something fast, but something also that has a lasting impression. So you don't want to just read to read, or like, you know what I mean. Sometimes people depth. feel like, yeah. Sometimes people feel like to get a book with depth, it has to be long and meandering and a classic. It doesn't have to be any of those things. If you want a book that has depth. And will make you feel a little more introspective, but also has enough lightheartedness that you will not feel bogged down for six weeks after. I would recommend this book. Classics suck. <laughs> no, re- like, I, some of them are good. Like, obviously, I've read classics, like, no. Dracula. Right. But, like, sometimes you, like, you're like, this is a classic. God, can I just, I guess I would jump off a bridge. This is boring. Oh my God. I have not done the Anna Karenina <laughs> And I refuse to. I don't to. know how to say it. Karenina? That's like, I don't care enough to know. Um, That's like Pride and Prejudice and all of those like classics. And they're like, it's classic romance. And I, I don't give a shit. I've read Pride and Prejudice and it was just, it was like that tweet. Like it was just them walking around at other people's I, houses. I taught Pride and Prejudice for two years. And in my mind, every time I taught it, I was like, God, these people have so many parties. All they do is visit with each other and party. I recommend this book to people like me who have depression. (laughs) (laughs) I just really feel like maybe you'll relate to Lillian. Okay. So. It's weird. (laughs) Dope. You'll find hope at the end of this book. You'll find hope. Okay, that's a good one. Thanks. So. I thought about it. Denise is the one that makes the order of our podcast. And every time I want to transition into this, I have to look at her in her eyes so she'll finish this Oh, thought. I changed it, dude. Okay. So we are going to tell you, Denise will tell you what our next podcast so is going to we be on. we were originally going to do Flowers in the Attic. Okay. But. Oh, if you love family incest and you may not. Well, but okay. It's a spicy but I, one. I felt like maybe we wouldn't get enough talking points out of that. I have to reread it and see what I feel. We're going to actually switch up to some spooky novels <gasps> with The Only Good Indians and My Heart is a Chainsaw. Ooh. 
Okay. Yeah. You have to read my heart as a chainsaw. Yeah, I know. It's, I'm going to. Okay. I'm not going to just fly so in wait, here like wait, I did so today. So we have The Only Good Indians in My Heart is a Chainsaw. Both of these are Native American written. So... Well, they're both by the same author. They're both... Yeah, they're both by the same author. Um, the first one is very, very, like heavily relying on Native American culture. And the second one, not so much, but it does rely a lot on the final girl trope. So if you haven't listened to our very first podcast, listen to it. We talk a lot about the final girl. And we purposely did not say the author name because I could not remember it. I had to go look it up right now. Stephen Graham Jones? Stephen Graham Jones. I could have told you that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that's what you needed. So, anyways, thank you so much for listening to podcast episode number four. We are having the time of our lives making this, even though it's 4.30 in the morning, basically. And to steal a line from my brother, uh, keep on trucking. We will see you guys next episode. Bye!